the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. My desire is, first of all, for you young people that are going to be out into the school systems where that you're going to encounter people and the conversation is going to come up about religion. And I want you to be tolerant in the sense that you want to love them and allow them to have their opportunity to speak. But I want you to be intolerant to that doctrine that is contrary to the word of God. But I don't want you to just say it. I believe that Jesus is the Lord. And they say, how do you know? It's because my pastor says so. That's the weakest argument that you could ever have. I would like for you to say it, not just because, because I say it or because the Bible says it. I would like to equip you so that you can, in a very loving way, unleash God's word, which is supernaturally powerful to that person so that could cast down wrong reasoning and then let truth pervade. So that's why we're covering this material so that you would be able to adequately understand the belief system you have in Christ and why you believe it, as well as to when others come up against that, you can clearly explain that to them. So let's go back to our passage of Scripture. We are now in John chapter 5. Now, I'll be in John chapter 5 for a few more weeks, and we've been in John chapter 5 for a few weeks. I don't normally park that long in one book of the Bible. You've been through all the other books that I've taught. The reason I'm doing that is because it is my belief, as I would read through all of John, that John chapter 5 has truth in it that is so pivotal to the entire gospel so that that truth is so important for you really to learn. Now, if you'll notice at the beginning of John chapter 5, there was a paralytic man who was paralyzed for 38 years. Jesus healed this man. Well, Jesus did a lot of miracles. He fed people. We're going to study that in a few weeks. He raised people from the dead. But why would this be so important? Because not only did he take a man who was paralyzed for 38 years and supernaturally heal him, but he did it on a particular day that rousted up the Jews against him. So much so that they continually sought him and probably that then spilled over into the fact that he was God who did this on the Sabbath that would then bring about their utter hatred for Christ and then bring him to the point of the cross. And although we know Jesus himself put himself to death on the cross, it was still them who brought him to that point and the Lord allowed him to do that. Let me speak for just a moment about Jesus Christ in general. Now there are a lot of people that would see that Jesus Christ is a very significant person. Some would say that uh, he's a great prophet. There's one cult or religion that will say, yes, he is the mighty God, but he's not the almighty God. This week, there was a particular interviewer that was permitted to speak to our two presidential candidates. They were speaking on one topic alone, and that is, what is their belief system? In questioning one of them, this man came out and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and said a few other things after that. And I'm sure there are a lot of Christians that might applaud that because Jesus claimed to be the Son of God as he claimed to be the Son of Man. But in reality, 
that man's belief system says he's the son of God, but he is not totally and only God. And the only way to heaven is by faith alone. And so there's a way for us to hear something, and we think that it is truth, but when you dig deeper, you have to then put a lot more behind it. So as I did this study about Jesus Christ, he wasn't someone who was born in a very miraculous or super special way, and then he starts the Christian religion. Jesus Christ is God. He existed before he was ever born. John chapter 1 will teach you all about that. So he was in existence, and when he was born, he came into this world at that time, and then he set things in motion so he would then go to the cross and pay our sin debt for us. The Jewish leaders really hated Christ all along the way. Now, if you have your Bibles, I'd like to pick it up because I would like to give to you today, from this chapter alone, five ways we know that Jesus is God, or Jesus is God the Father. I want you to see it five different ways. Next time we get together, which hopefully next week, Lord willing, I would like for then for us to go over five witnesses because if Jesus is claiming that he is the Son of God, truth needs to be established according to Scripture with at least two or more witnesses. And so now you're going to see five witnesses to the very words of Jesus Christ. Now that to me is pretty profound because when I look over Jewish tradition, you're going to find that the Jews all along didn't really want to have anything to do with Christ, especially when he claimed to be Christ. In fact, they said of him that he's nothing more than perhaps a, a Samaritan someone who had an illegitimate birth, someone who might have done some astounding miracles, but when he did those miracles, he did those in the power of Satan. So it was a satanic thrust behind Christ, not God himself doing this. If you fast forward it, you're going to find that in the 18th and 19th century, there are people that referred to Christ as something, nothing more than the quintessential uh, man of faith, the moral man. And inside every human being is a spark of morality. And if they fan that spark, they could become, like Christ, a very, very, very good man. The model of how all men should live. But they don't see him as God. You move it into the 20th century, and you're going to find that they'll look to Christ as perhaps being a great historical figure. But at the same time, he becomes now a mystical Christ that no one could really know him. So Christ now becomes whomever you want him to become to you. And so now we have all of this, and you salt and pepper all of that with tolerance. All of a sudden is, yeah, we believe that, you believe that, that's okay, let's move on down with life. And the reality is it's not that way. It's either truth or false. It'll either be truth, and in some cases it's going to be lies. And so we really do need to know these truths. As I go back to Christ, and I don't have time to take you through all the Gospels, but please listen to this because Christ himself all along, and it seems like hardly anybody really asked him, are you really the Christ? Yeah, at the end they did, but if you want to know if Christ claimed to be God, he over and over claimed to be God, and he did it by identifying what God did he had the right to do, and there's nothing in Scripture, Old or New Testament, that would say that Jesus Christ is lying. It was permitted for him to say that. Why would that be the case? Because it was God himself in the flesh, Jesus, who was speaking. So he himself put him on equal terms with God, the Father. You can find that throughout Scripture over and over again. Jesus called God's angels his angels. God, he called God's elect his elect. He called God's kingdom his kingdom over and over again. He was the one who could ordain and control the eternal destinies of people, just like God could. We're going to find out that Jesus Christ could give life, just like God could give life. God raised the dead. Jesus Christ could raise the dead. Everything that God did, could do, would do, Christ did to show that he would be God. And never once did he deny it. In fact, toward the end of his life, he said, you see the Father, you see me. You want to see God, you look at me. 
And he said that over and over again. So by the testimony of what he could do that God did and who he claimed to be and what we're going to see here today and the witnesses next week, you will have an arsenal to, first of all, have the assurance of your own faith is not just because you heard it some Sunday morning from a preacher and it sounded pretty good and I want to be like the Christians, i got a nice life. It'll be because you really believe it and you know why you believe what you believe. So if you will, let's look now at Scripture turning to... Uh, John chapter 5, I'm not going to go over the story of him healing that individual. You can do that yourself in verses 1 through verse 14. But I want to pick it up at verse 15. And so the very first point that you want to learn here is Jesus claimed to be equal with God the Father. He claimed to be equal with God the Father. Look, if you will, now at verse 16. It says, for this reason, after the man got up and told, him, told the Jews that Jesus had made him well, the Jews said they were persecuting Jesus because he was doing those things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them and said, My father is working until now, and I myself am working. And then, if you will, drop down a little bit further, and you're going to see this again, how he keeps saying this. Verse 18, For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but he also was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Now, if you're wanting to take your Bible and mark it, this would be a good verse to mark, especially that phrase when it says, making himself equal with God. So the first objection was, Jesus heals on the Sabbath. The second objection they had that really lit their fire and pumped up the volume is when he claimed to be God. So you had two things going at the same time. Now, for some of you, I mentioned last week a little bit about Sabbath. Now, you know that the Sabbath was something that was put into the Decalogue, and that was all through the Old Testament, that the Jews were to honor one day a week, which would be the Sabbath. On that particular day, they were to minimize their work, at least around the house, and especially then do no work that would be a part of their life career, we might say. So it was a real shutdown. Now, often people will say, well, didn't God keep the Sabbath? Didn't he create the world in, you know, six days, and then he rested on the Sabbath? And so as an example of God, we should do the same thing. We work and then we shut off work. But look at Jesus. What did he do on the Sabbath, the day that we shouldn't be working? What does he do? He takes an ill person and he lets them walk again. So it sounds kind of contradictory there. Well, let me explain a little bit about this whole aspect of God resting on the, on the seventh day. When it said he rested, he didn't rest because he worked so hard and he was tired. We know that Jesus never sleeps nor slumber. We know, according to other verses, that there is no fatigue with God. So he didn't rest because he was tired. Why did he rest? That's a word that we could use. If you look up here for a moment, I'm going to take my Bible and I'm going to set my Bible down here. In other words, I'm resting my Bible. Why don't you rest your Bible over there? Well, it's not that my Bible is tired. It means that I'm going to cease using my Bible and I'm going to set it aside. When God finished creating the world, this is very important, by the way, is that he finished it in six days. That in itself speaks against theistic evolution, meaning that, okay, he picks it back up again after he had his day off, and he continues creating. No, he rested on the sixth day because all of creation was done at that time. It also talks about the word he sanctifies. So what he's doing is he's taking seven days a week. On the seventh day, he's setting that day apart as something that happens to be special. It's a special day. And what's so special about it isn't that God was tired and he needed a day off, so we've got to be quiet. What's so special about that day is that Almighty God spoke everything into existence within six days. He completed this wonderful act and he ceased, here it is, creating. The creation was done. Now, 
Did he quit working? That's an important point. He did not quit working. The work of creating was done. The seventh day is to honor that. But he continued to work because not only did he set creation up, he also sustains creation. Colossians teaches that. So that means that he works continually all the time. Now let me take it back into Christians. When we trust Christ as Savior, we place our faith alone in Christ. It's a one-time act. Now we continue now living for the Lord afterwards, but we rest our confidence in Him. We rest in Him. I have eternal life. I don't have to work for my salvation to get it. Watch this. I don't have to work to keep my salvation. I'm resting totally in Him. The rest of my life, I'm continually working. Here again. When Jesus died on the cross, what did He do? He died once and for all. He rested on the cross, so to speak. He completed that act. It was all over with. Does he continually work? Yes. But the continual work isn't to continually pay for sin. The continual work is after this is done, now he has this relationship with his creation and especially with you and me as we are now growing in our likeness of Christ. Now what made the Jews so upset over this is because they had the belief, listen now, they had the rabbinical view of Sabbath. The rabbinical view was you cannot do anything on the Sabbath. Here is Jesus and he's healing on the Sabbath. And what Jesus is saying is the reason I can heal on the Sabbath is because I am God and God does not rest and we do do good deeds on the Sabbath. And we're going to do good deeds anytime because here it is, I am God. And that ramped up the volume even louder where they really hating him. Now if you'll notice in your Bible it's all in the tense that says that it keeps going and going and going and going but the pivotal thing is all about the Sabbath. And now Jesus Christ is the Lord of the Sabbath. And you could read more about that. I just don't have time to teach this every Sunday. But if you will go back over some of the passages in Mark, and you're going to find that he does say that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. Let's go a little bit further now. So he's made himself equal with God, which is a very profound statement there, because he is God. Let's go to the second statement. And that is that he believes he is equal to the Father in what is important, which would be called the works that he does. Well, let's look at that for just a moment as we see the works that God the Father does and how important that is. Look here, and Jesus Christ does. In, Acts, in John chapter 5, it says this in verse 19. Therefore Jesus answered after they accused him of making himself equal with God and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. Here it is. For whatever the Father does... These things the Son also does in like manner. Now, if this is your Bible, you want to see, Mark, what the Father does, the Son does. Why would the Son do what the Father does? Because the Son and the Father are one. Now, if you will, take your pen and maybe mark the phrase, truly, truly, I say to you. I'd like to give you all a little bit of an afternoon homework assignment that'll be pretty fun to do. And you could have your kids do it and bring it back to you if you want. And that is, take the phrase, truly, truly, I say to you, just truly, truly, and run it through just the Gospel of John, and you're going to see where Jesus keeps saying, truly, 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 I say unto you, he that believes on me has everlasting life. Three times in our passage today alone, you're going to see the phrase, truly, 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 truly. Now, why would he do that? Everything he says is important. But now what he's about to say, he wants them to pay a special close attention. How many of you mothers or fathers work with your kids and your kids don't seem to be focusing on what you're really saying? It doesn't mean that what you're about to tell them is more important than what you've told them before. But what is happening is your kids aren't really listening to you, so what do you do? Sometimes you might say, hey, 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 look at me right here in the eye. Come on, look, focus, focus, focus. And then you tell them. Now, why do you do that? It's not because what you're about to say is true, that what you said before wasn't true. 
What you're about to say is, this is so important. I don't want you to miss anything, but right now I want you to come back to what I'm about to say and I want you to hear what I'm about to say. And he says this over and over and over again in the Gospel of John. Well, maybe you don't do that, but you might look at your kids across the room and say, hey, hey, look at me. And then you kind of mouth the words. You want them to pay attention. So he's saying, focus on me. So now what does he say here again? He says, what God the Father does, I do, because I am the Father. He made himself equal with God the Father. Now if you will look in verse 20, it says, For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing. And the Father will show him greater works than these, so that you will marvel. Now you see that phrase, greater works than these, so you will marvel? We already know what he did as far as people with, like Nicodemus. We also know what he did with the woman at the well. We also saw what he did with the healing of the paralytic person. Those of you that were with us saw how he took water and he turned it into wine. So he did a lot of great things. Now here's my question and see if you can answer it. What were the greater things that the Lord would do in the future because he is God? What were they? What were some of the greater things that he would do? Well, we know he fed the 5,000. But he also took Lazarus. And what did he do with Lazarus who was dead, 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 dead? What did he do with Lazarus? Raised him. But I believe that the greatest work that Jesus Christ did was when he went to the cross as God-man and he took all the sin of all the world on himself. He paid the complete price for our sin. That payment was paid by his blood. He died and he was dead, 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 dead. And then he rose again from the dead. And then he walked on the earth. And then he ascended up in heaven. And then every power that ever was or ever will be, is all subject to Jesus Christ, who is King of Kings. So he did great marvels, but he's going to continue to do so. So the works that the Father did, he did. Now that's very critical. Let's go to number three. Well, let me go back here to number two. I've put some other sub-notes here, so you might want to follow along. When I look at some of the things that we do, I know that we won't be able to raise people from the dead. God didn't call us to do that. I know there's not going to be those kind of miracles. But maybe the greatest miracle that's in your life after you've trusted Christ as Savior is that your life begins to change. You look over the things that you used to do and the things that you don't do now and how things begin to change in your life. So here's my question to you. From the time you trusted Christ until today, what are the things that you are thinking or doing differently today that you know please the Father that you weren't doing back then? How has your life changed? If you're a new believer in Christ... I believe with all my heart that not only did he convict you of the sin and of your need of salvation and brought you the truth and you trusted Christ, but I believe the Holy Spirit is continually working in you. And how many of you are experiencing the prompting of God as you've been reading Scripture and there's something that you read and say, ooh, I haven't been doing that and I really need to do that. Maybe it's taking the Lord's name in vain. Maybe it's you're telling the truth where before you manipulated and intimidated people. Maybe it's you're more faithful at your worship with the Lord and now you see him as really the only God. Has your life changed? Now remember, that change in your life is not going to come just because you will it to be changed. That change is a supernatural change in you because the Holy Spirit begins to work on you from the inside out. And so here's my point. I can do nothing by myself. I can do nothing by myself. A number of weeks ago, maybe a few months ago, I shared with you that I have a plaque, a beautiful redwood plaque in my office and it's chiseled out, and then inlaid with gold. And it says, not I, but Christ. This morning I had one of our dear senior saints come up to me and said, I found a hymn that says, not I, but Christ, written by A.B. Simpson. 
I was so touched by that because I want my life to be not I, but Christ, because I can't do it myself. My efficiency without his sufficiency is deficiency. And so that's why I can't do it. And I'm so glad that the Lord not only had the power to save me, but he also has the power to grow me into his son. And what a blessed power that is. What a wonderful work that he's doing. And I'm still on that journey too. All right, number three. The son is equal to the father in power and sovereignty. Look at verse 21. This is interesting. It says here, For just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the father, or excuse me, even so the son also gives life to whom he wishes. Now, you might want to underline the word wishes there. I don't know what it says in your translation, but that adds something to it. You have the power to raise it, but now you also have, when you have the word wishes in there, you have the thought of the sovereignty. In other words, he can do it based on his own choice. Now, some of you might be looking back and say, okay, who did he raise from the dead? But I thought Elijah and Elisha raised people from the dead. So I thought that too. So I went back to those passages of Scripture and I thought about these great prophets of old, these great guys that had so much power from God that they could take dead people and rise them again, make them have life. You know what I found out? In each and every case, God may have used them at the event, but those men never raised anyone. In fact, when you had a widow who lost a son who died, this dead son of a widow was there. Elijah comes along in 1 Kings He looks at this dead child here. He can't do anything, so what does he do? He petitions God and says, Oh God, would you now and then take this child and give it life? And do you know what happened? The Lord responded. It wasn't Elijah doing this, it was God. I said that to say this. All in the Old Testament, whenever anyone was dead and was brought back to life, there may have been humans thereby, but at the same time, it was only God who did it, and the humans gave all the glory to God so that people would recognize God could raise the dead. When you move into the New Testament, you're going to find where Jesus Christ can raise the dead too. And we saw that, or we will see that, with Lazarus. Now, let me add one other thought. There's another kind of raising from the dead that gives life. This is very significant because now we're going to talk about the real crux. All the people that were raised from the dead in the Old Testament, they still died. Lazarus, who was raised from the dead in the New Testament, still died. So what does this mean? Give life. He can give life. If you give life, that has to be life where the person doesn't die. So let's talk about that for a moment. In Ephesians chapter 2, Verse 1 in the following, it says that all human beings are born dead, spiritually dead. We are born in our trespasses and sins. We are born dead. Now, physically, I'm alive. Now, folks, you've got to track with this because in a few moments, I'm going to move to the whole concept of resurrection and show you how that Jesus Christ and God are the same even in the resurrection. That's going to be key. Let's go back, though, to the idea of we're dead. So we're dead. Jesus Christ now will take us who are spiritually dead and give us eternal life. Now, I can go back in time in 1966 where Carol brought me to a meeting where I heard the Word of God, so it's like hearing the voice of God, but it was the Word of God. Carol opened up the Word of God, and through the Word of God, I then understood that I was a sinner. Jesus Christ is the Lord who died on the cross and rose again, that it wasn't by works but by faith. When I heard that, God's Holy Spirit brought me to this point sovereignly where I would place my faith in Jesus Christ. So yes, it is God part doing his part of drawing us, but it's a human responsibility where we have to respond to that drawing, a place in our faith in Jesus Christ. And that happened. At that moment, I was 
quickened, we might say. It's a word we don't use. I was brought from death unto life. Physically, I was still alive, but spiritually, I was dead, and now I'm alive. God has the power to do that. Jesus Christ has the power to do that because Jesus Christ has power, but he also has authority and sovereignty to be able to do that. Let's look at number four now. This is where he, has, he is also equal in judgment. All right, so he's equal to the Father. He's equal to the Father in what he does. He's equal to the Father in his power. He's got the same power that the Father has. He's also equal to the Father in sovereignty. He can choose. He can rule over the Sabbath because he is God. And now in judgment. Now, this is a little bit longer passage. Let me read it to you. You might want to have your pens ready because you're going to find the concept of judgment just in these verses five times. All right, let me look at it with you now. Let's begin, if you will, at verse 22. It says, For not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son. Now, that's a big question. The Father doesn't judge? Yes, we know the Father judges, but he allows his Son to judge because he is God, and now the Son is able to do the judging. Why would that be the case? Well, if Jesus Christ is the one who came to this earth, if Jesus Christ is the one who took all the sin of mankind on, and Jesus Christ is the one who would save them and forgive them, then it's Jesus Christ who has the right to judge them, both believer and non-believer. Verse 23, So that all will honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. And I'm going to talk about honoring them in a moment. So let me just pass that for just right for a moment. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. 